And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. 25 to 5, and once again, Luke Smith from Envision Financial joins me in the studio to talk all things money matters. And Luke, today we've got an incredibly cracking topic. <laughs> Why the hell would you borrow money now? I mean, the interest rates have gone through the roof. You really wouldn't want to be doing that, would you? Well, look, and I think all we're trying to alleviate or, or, or allude to today is that don't assume you can't. And I just want people to understand why they would, how they could, and the fact that, you know, there are ways to still get into markets or use it for investment or, or a range of other things. All right, well, let's get all the flippancy out of the way first. We're not talking about having to borrow money to go and get your groceries. No. Uh, we're not talking about taking out a mortgage so you can afford to put petrol in the tank. No, correct. No, we're talking, we're correct. talking about borrowing money to make investments. Now, making yeah. investments, of course, you, you've got to balance up a, a number of factors, and hmm. borrowing the money for the investment is, is just one of the many factors you're going to need to weigh up to determine whether or not it actually makes sense for you. Exactly right. And, and, and one of the things that I find people are struggling with now is the, the, the fear that they will never be able to get into a, a property or a, a, an asset where they will need to borrow some form of, of, of capital to be able to acquire it. And when people are looking to try and build their wealth over their working life, borrowing to get access to something that you cannot cash flow yourself is the primary way that we can try and expand the assets that we own and pay off. What I really want people to think about and, and keep in mind is that there are a number of ways to be able to borrow. You know, you can borrow using home as security for another property. You could borrow money inside um, an association with superannuation. You can also then use something like a margin loan where you may not have a house, but you have a portfolio of assets and they are used as collateral for borrowings. And really to just think about the pros and cons of each of these options is not to sort of say, is this better than that? Or is that better than this? It's about what is right for me and how could I go about starting to grow something? And, and, and that margin loan situation is great for people that may be renting and don't have a house to put up as security. So again, I just want to make people aware of their options because I'd hate to think that people misalign what they can use. Yeah. You know, we're just trying to avoid the fear of never being able to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, a margin loan could be a good stepping stone to growing assets to then buy a house okay. as an option. All right, so what are some of the reasons that people might consider borrowing right now? Yeah, so people generally want to borrow to try and expand their wealth. They want to be able to get into a family home if, if that's what you're trying to achieve. So we can break that up into investment and personal. And by personal, I mean, you know, buying a, your, your primary residence. Yeah, house to live in rather than as an investment. Correct. But if you're lucky, it's both. And look, exactly right. And, and one can lead to the other. And I think that's what, again, we just try and reiterate to people is, is you don't have to shoot all your shots in one go. You can definitely build up and, and, and amass assets over time. And buying something smaller and paying that off, whilst it may not be the home you want to live in for the rest of your life, there's the potential for equity growth in the property. There's the potential for you to be in a market so that you have credit ratings and payment histories and, and you can look very appealing to a lender. You could also pay something off a lot faster with a much smaller debt associated with it. And the problem with the younger generation is they want to leap straight to the finish line, whereas you know a lot of listeners would have worked through 
different decades and different time frames and different interest rates. Um, but again, it's important that people keep things in context and, and, and don't assume that, you know, never is never. People should also think about what they can save and how much they could throw towards a borrowing. So one of the instances that we're seeing at the moment is the refinancing of loans with a new lens used by the banks is getting harder and harder for people to get new loans or refinance loans that they got two, three, four, five years ago because the serviceability rules that lenders are using now are very, very different. In the past, you borrowed at two, they serviced you at five and said, okay, well, assuming 5% interest rates, could you could you maintain those? And that's that's that risk mechanism that the bank uses. Now they're lending it at five and six and they're servicing you at nine which is significantly higher because they build in a risk premium when they actually give you the cash. So think about what you can save and maybe borrow a little bit less. Another way of being able to try and get into a market is to start looking at it from a collective perspective. Um, and what I mean by that is if I've got a hundred grand and you've got a hundred grand and our friend Johnny's got a hundred grand and our friend Shelley's got a hundred grand, maybe we put those together and then borrow and buy an asset that is investment that can grow because I may not be able to go and buy a $500,000 property. But if we did it collectively through something like a family trust and you all have an understanding of what you're going to do and the rules under which you're going to do it, I think I'm finding more and more people are, are, are open to that discussion so that they have something to hold going forwards because 100% of nothing is not as good as 20% of something. Um, so again, there's a, there's a way of changing the traditional thinking in relation to buying a property because you may not be able to service the debt using that 9% that parameter that the banks are using to give you the cash. But you might be able to then be part of a group of people that do it. You can do that residentially. You can do that commercially. Um, that, that commercial side of things has been around for a lot longer because it was traditionally an investment philosophy as opposed to a primary residence philosophy. And I'm not saying you've got to go and live with all your mates, but at least you've got an asset that's growing over time. You might be able to then rent where you live and, and have an asset that you can use for investment purposes and collectively share all the tax benefits. So, you know, think about that because it's a little bit outside of the box. But again, we just want to be able to throw up some options that people can consider because I'd hate to think that they're sitting at home thinking, I'll never be able to do this and then become disheartened and disenfranchised. Um, so, you know, awareness is the key. Negative gearing is another reason why people might want to borrow at this time. Now, this would apply, I guess, to people that have the unfortunate problem of receiving too much income. And yeah. what they can do to reduce their taxable income is to negatively gear something, and for that you need to borrow. Correct. So there's two ways of, of sort of looking at the pros and cons of negative gearing. Plenty of people have owned investment properties for the last decade, and they've been neutrally geared because rent covered interest. And now they're wishing they weren't negatively geared because now they're throwing in five and $10,000 of their own money every year to keep that asset going. Because the interest rate's gone up. Exactly yeah. right. So the cost of holding the debt has increased faster than the potential rent because of the proportion of debt that you carry on a property. So a lot of people, you know, always hope for negatively gearing because it helps me with my tax. But then you work out that you've got to start throwing well, the thing about negative gearing is it actually costs you money. Well, it's... That's yeah. the thing. And and that's where I think the, the, the traditional lens of negative gearing has sort of been debunked 
quite a while ago because it's it is quite expensive from a cash flow perspective yeah. for minimal tax benefit because we've seen marginal tax rates go up hugely when you're in you know when we were talking about the 90s and you were getting a 50% deduction on anything over $60,000 of income it's far more appealing than having 1% of the population earn more than 180 grand to get that full tax benefit and then as you say the second side of negative gearing why would you borrow you may be fortunate enough to have generational wealth or have bought houses you know two three decades ago where you've seen a huge uplift in capital prices and a huge uplift in rental income now if you hold those in your own name you've bought yourself through good investments you've bought yourself a tax problem and one way to try and negate the tax payable could be to have a very heavily geared property in the same ownership structures as your other properties where the rent from other assets could go towards covering the interest cost at current levels yeah. and reduce the amount of taxable income that you need to declare. Now, you can do that in your own name. You can do that through something like a family trust. So there's an example of why you would borrow, and it's actually great that things are expensive because you want the largest gap between the interest cost and the rent to be able to soak up other taxable income where you do not have cash flow problems. Now, the other side of that coin would be in the uh, most fortunate situation where you see an opportunity to pursue positive gearing. If you mm. find an investment which is showing a rate of return that's higher than the interest rate you're going to pay on the loan, mm -hmm. that's positive cash flow, isn't it? It is, and it generally requires either a very large deposit or... Um, an amazing income stream and and a reduced level of borrowing so that's a, a great way to keep and, I, and i'm pro that style of investment leading into retirement because for me if it's not generating positive cash flow it's not something that can help you meet your retirement objectives and fund pensions and lifestyle so that type of investment is great where you go and buy something you initially get some really good tax deductions and some negative gearing, but you have the capacity to save. So you can fill up an offset account and pay down the debt and pay down the debt and pay down the debt. And before you know it, you borrowed $500,000 on an $800,000 property and you put 400000 into that offset account. So you've got a small residual debt and you can still have some leverage, but have some cash flow coming out of it. And that really comes down to, like I say most weeks, why have I got it? And what is it doing for me? And I'm pro-positive cash flow because it gives you those lifestyle choices to then potentially say, oh, I don't think I'll work Fridays anymore. I'm not going to earn 100 grand. I'll earn 80 because I've got rent coming out of A, B and C or I've got a pension coming out of Superfund A and I can keep my lifestyle going and I can live the way that I want to live. So we just want people to think about borrowing as not just something that's scary and out of reach, but also something that is a strategic consideration to try and mitigate tax or leverage into opportunities with a collective view to get the best assets possible to then increase your, your, your net worth over time. So what should people keep in mind when they're thinking about borrowing money? Yeah, so think about the collateral that you're going to put forward. The better the collateral, the better the security, generally the lower the interest rate. So is it unsecured? Is it partially secured? Um, what's the loan to value ratio? In other words, what is the level of debt as a percentage of the thing that I'm buying? I have a million dollar house, I borrow $500,000, it's got a 50% LVR. The lower the loan to value ratio, the better the options you have in relation to the interest rate and structure of the loan that you use. 
make sure that you understand the cash flow implications of a rate change. I'm finding a lot of people have got away with making some really speculative decisions over the last five to 10 years. And now with interest rates rising, holding those assets is getting harder and harder because a lot of people come in and go, I never thought rates would get here. They have, so plan ahead. If you put one or 2% buffer into your cash flow numbers, great. Think about how you're going to borrow. Is it interest only? Is it principal and interest? And we've talked about the pros and cons of both of those options in previous shows because you're trying to manage the cash flow of the asset, not chase potentially the lowest interest rate. So we need to think about what's our primary objective. What entity am I going to buy the asset in? Am I going to gear it in my name? Am I going to gear it jointly? Am I going to buy the asset in a family trust? Am I going to buy it in a super fund? Pros and cons of all entities. Not one thing is right more or less than, than another, but understand what you're going to do at the end. Think about the sale considerations and capital gains tax and make sure that you have the ability to fund something over the longer term because short-term cash flow is an issue with a long-term asset. So make sure that your ability to save is aligned with that. And then think about how am I gonna use the loan facilities that are available to me? Do I have an offset account? Do I have a redraw facility? What's best for my situation? Is it my primary residence? Is it an investment property? So there are nuances in relation to the type of offset account or redraw that you have and the thing that may be right for you. But that's where a good mortgage broker can add some real value around what bank has an appetite for your situation what are you putting forward? Are you an employee? Are you, are you a self-employed person? Do you have land? Do you have commercial? Are you doing it in a super fund? You can't assume that all banks are the same. They really aren't. And they have different appetites and different preferences in relation to the risks that they will take on. And that's where I say uh, uh, getting a mortgage broker involved is, is hugely powerful because they'll know where your deal fits. They'll know how to position it with the lender. Um, and, and, and don't be afraid, as we've said in previous shows, of interest only with an offset account because it's a great way to keep access to your capital and reduce the amount of money that the bank takes. I'm with Luke Smith from Envision Financial today. We're asking the very important question, why would you borrow money in the current environment? Well, it turns out there might be one or two different reasons. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Seven minutes to five, it's a Friday afternoon, and you know what that means. It means that Luke Smith from Envision Financial is here in the studio to give me some good advice. And today we're talking about why would you borrow money in the current environment? Well, Luke, interest rates have gone up, but mm. I think we've covered a few reasons why people might still actually borrow some money. What are the... Uh, what are the key things for people to remember about borrowing to invest? Yeah, uh, and I think before the ad break, the, the key thing there was don't just assume that you can't. You know, just because interest rates have gone up, yes, but the, uh, the same principles will apply as to why you would buy. Am I borrowing to buy a little portfolio of ETFs? Am I buying a commercial property? Am I buying something residentially? It, it really depends on why and then aligning your cash flow and, and long-term investment goals. So I think understand your numbers understand your cash flow, and have a very clear understanding of what you're looking to try and buy and how long you're looking to try and hold it. Because a lot of people make the assumption that we just borrow for properties. You might want to have um, a tax deductible investment loan against your house to buy a portfolio of shares and ETFs with the dividends used to cover a lot of the interest cost, like you would rent from a house. So don't just assume that it's for property. Um, it can be for you know a range of different options. Plan long-term interest costs. 
Yes, they've risen significantly. Could they go up more? Yes, they could. So allow for that. Don't just assume they won't. I think a lot of people are learning a very valuable lesson mm. at the moment with that. Think about how you're going to structure your borrowings. For me, if it's investment, interest only. Don't worry about the principal component. Keep your cash flow as lean as possible. Give the bank as little as possible and tie an offset account to that so you've got access to any surplus savings where you can look to pay the loan down or draw it out in the future and buy more assets. So have an understanding of the structure of your loan. Think about offset or redraw. What is right for you? They're not the same. They are very different. Think about negative gearing to try and offset distributable income. So if you are fortunate enough to have a number of properties and have very strong cash flow in addition to wages, you may want to have a negatively geared property now in the same ownership structure as other properties to soak up some of that distributable rent if you do not need it to meet your living costs. Remember that you can gear through a super fund, but be mindful of the additional interest expense associated with that. Um, and then also think about does the borrowing that I'm going to undertake align with my broader investment horizon and my retirement objectives, depending on what stage of life you're at? So make an informed decision. Don't assume that you can't. And as we said before the ad break, think about doing something as a collective to get you into a market from an investment perspective where you may not be able to borrow in isolation or as an individual, maybe find three or four like-minded colleagues or, or, or friends that are in a similar financial situation to you and go into something together and get some good tax advice and some structured advice. But don't, don't despair that you'll never be able to do something. You might just need to think outside the box a little bit and, and maybe have that unit trust environment where you all throw in a hundred grand and buy a property and, and, and you're all equally responsible for it but at least you're in on something and then you can pay down the, the borrowings that you've maintained for your portion of that. And if you don't have any friends, that's what ETFs are for. Exactly right. <laughs> ETFs are, are, are no friend friendly. Exactly right. It's a good alternative to admitting you've got no mates. So, Luke, where can <laughs> listeners get more information? Yeah, so office number 62604749. We've got envisionfinancial.com.au on the internet. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stacker, Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. We've got the YouTube channel Envision Financial Canberra where we've got all of the shows from each week. We've got the Strategy Stacker on the Tiki Talker and these types of considerations are all in Smart Money Strategy, your ultimate guide to financial planning out in all good bookstores, Amazon and Booktopia. Fantastic, Luke. Have a wonderful week and we will catch up with you again at the same time next Friday. See you next week. Luke Smith from Envision Financial on 2CC. Luke will be back with us again next Friday afternoon and all the latest news is next.